Hi, welcome to Don't Tell the Babysitter Mom's Dead. My name is Brittany Ashley. I am the host, producer, creator, editor. Basically, if you don't like this show, it lies entirely on my shoulders. This is a podcast where I have a conversation with a fellow member of the Dead Moms Club and then explore pop culture's representations of TV and film characters who have also lost their mother. The first episode premiered two weeks ago, and I just want to thank everyone who messaged me, shared the show, became a Patreon supporter, reviewed the podcast. Even if you thought about doing any of these things, thank you. It makes me feel warm and good. My guest for today's episode is my friend Zach Dressler. His story is, of course, heartbreaking. His mom was sick for nearly a decade, and towards the end of his senior year in college, he left to try and take care of her. But sadly, she passed right before his graduation. He beautifully tells his story and gives tribute to his brilliant mother. We had worked together at BuzzFeed, and I had no idea that you also lost your mom until we did this video together. It was like four years ago right. uh, with the frame of what it feels like to lose your parent. We're actually both on the thumbnail. I don't know if you... No, <laughs> I did not know that. that. Yeah. Wow. And it's you, me, Brianna, and Bag. One thing that I noticed is that you and I both cried in the video. I was sobbing at one point. They had to stop rolling. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to ask about that because the way that it was edited... It cut to you after you had been crying. And so I didn't know what you had cried about, but they got me literally right as I was starting to cry. Like it was the me trying to deflect that I was going to cry by just saying something like, you yeah, know, that's just really stupid. And then just full on crying. Yeah. I think I had a couple of those moments where I was like holding back tears. Yeah. And then at the very end, I don't even like know. It's dusty in here. Yeah. <laughs> Does anyone else have allergies? These, these lights are just. <laughs> I think there's some dust on there. Can we turn down the lights, please? Yeah, exactly. No, I, it it just hits you. It hits you at, at, at random moments, mm -hmm. for sure. But uh, no, I remember that because I was like, okay. I was like, oh, wow. I'm, I'm starting to well up hearing everybody else's stories. And then they come to me and I'm like, is it okay to cry at myself? Yeah. <laughs> Do you remember what it was that made you break? It was, um, I think something along the lines of telling how proud I was uh, watching my brother graduate because he, he she passed see and Amari starting to like tear up just thinking about it you know she she passed uh, when he was a freshman in high school and um, when you know I felt sort of obligated to like you know raise both my younger brothers Seth and Emmett basically when he walked I was telling the story of like when he walked I just felt like kind of like a I did a proud thing for my mom and that she would be proud that I raised him, I think, the way that she wanted him to be raised. And uh, I just I remember saying that and just being like, oh, I can't. You know, I was just like, <laughs> and I was like, Jesus. Yeah, it's, you know, and different parts when I relive, like telling, you know, talking about it, telling the story and, and you know, in my head, you know, or just like a, a random memory, you know, there's different different moments and different things that make me well up in tear you know tears tears of happiness mostly because yeah. I, I think that's how we all for most most people remember uh, our mothers or you know fathers whatever it may be whoever passed grandparents for the happy moments and i think that's you know i think that you miss those moments and that's why you're sad did you know that you're going to cry um i had a feeling i was going to cry i didn't know how it was going to go you don't know what questions are going to be asked and um you know i think just i hadn't talked about it at that point for a while and uh, yeah, it really, it really just, it really just got me. It really just, you know, 
it's coming up on it'll be 14 years may this tuesday may 1st so i am curious how often do you get to talk about her like how often do people in your life that aren't your family members talk to you about her i i'd say it happens i'd say it probably happens you know once or twice well it depends it depends on who who i'm seeing you know sometimes i'm seeing friends that i haven't seen in a long time like friends i grew up with that knew my mother and they have a new acquired friend that's there you know like the, I, that i've never met before or someone that we met after it happened you know i talk about it then i but i'd say probably maybe twice maybe three times a year i mean it's not something you 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 know you don't go into a bar and be like hey who wants to talk yeah. about death <laughs> yeah. you know um it usually comes up right around like this time of the year you know because it's you know this is like you know the passing of her you know or during her birthday which is in the summer or mother's day right well mother's day three big three well that was the thing when she passed this is the rough thing was that like she passed on may 1st we buried her may 3rd my birthday is may 5th and then i graduated from college that year on mother's day may 9th so it was just like you know, like just imagine someone just taking a knife and stabbing you in different areas of your heart. But when you talk about it, what what I've noticed is like, you know, I'll talk about it when I hear someone else's parent or mother pass away, especially their mom. But even then, like, how do I bring it up? The one thing I hated the most was like people coming and telling me how they felt or how I should feel. It's like this is let me this is my grieving, you know, and like I appreciate people coming up and and that's the thing. It's like I don't want to I don't want to sound like a bitter, angry person who's like it's like people shouldn't come up and say things. I it it's very helpful, you know, just in retrospective when you think about it. As much as I knew my mother was eventually going to pass, when the day come, I was still heartbroken, but I couldn't imagine it happening unexpectedly. Getting a phone call. Your day is going great, you know, and then all of a sudden something terrible happens to someone you love. Um, but then again, there's no really way to prepare for death. Even if, right. even if, even as much as you can, you know, you know you're terminally ill and you have X amount of months to live, there's still no emotional way or physical way to prepare yourself for it. So You also had to see, which is a rare thing, is that you had to, like, watch your mother be in pain as well. You know, there's definitely... There's no, there's no upside, but no. I'm, but I'm sure that there's perhaps some people who were like, I, I'm so happy that I never had to see my mother be in so much pain. You know what I mean? There's absolutely, absolutely. You know, and everybody goes, <clears throat> everybody lives, everybody dies, you know? So everybody sees someone that they love pass, uh, for better, or for worse, you know, whether it's quick or easy or like, you know, this, you know, slowly dying portion of it. You know, you, you witness it and, you know, I think I, I had to witness it with my mom. I was a sophomore in high school. It was the end of my sophomore year. And, uh, you know, she had been having chronic back problems for like three months straight. Like there was times where she couldn't even get out of bed. She was in so much pain. She went to the doctor. They did uh, tests. They didn't find anything. Three months later, she goes back and gets the same tests. And uh, they realized that they, in the mammogram, they missed the original lump in her breast. So it spread to her second breast, and then the cancer spread to her stomach, back, and brain. Hit her lymph nodes, stomach, back, and brain. So at that point, they gave her anywhere from, like, six weeks to six months to live. Which, you know, hearing, you know, I remember my father took me for a walk, and he told me all this. And I was like, ugh, this is, uh, I, 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 I couldn't fully 
understand because I think my brain hadn't matured fully. Like, what do you mean she's like terminally ill? Like, she's going to be fine, right? I was 15, 16 at the time. You believe that your parents are like immortal. They, you feel like they're, especially my mom. I thought my mom was invincible. I was, I'm a mama's boy. So my mom, you know, my mom was everything to me. I, mean, I love my father with, you know, everything, every fiber of my being, but my mom was everything to me. Um, you know, she, she's the reason why I was able to get into college. She's the one that pushed me to go to college. She's the one that pushed me for a lot of things, you know, academically and educated me properly. So I wouldn't, you know, I'd be cultured properly. And, you know, without her, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I probably, I probably wouldn't have gone to college if it wasn't her or at least the, the college that I got to go to, I would probably would have gone to a school that just to go to college because that was what everybody was doing. But she, uh, you know, when she got diagnosed, she started doing macrobiotic dieting. She started doing holistic healing plus her chemo and radiation. And somehow four or five months later, I remember it was like, you know, right before Thanksgiving, the doctor called and they told her that she had somehow stopped the spread, the growth. And they have this, um, procedure that they want to operate they want to try this you know when it was like it was then it was then called stem cells uh which i mean still exists but this is for different you know we use stem cells differently now but this was to uh stem cell treatment that they were going to do what they wanted to do was basically nuke her body for five days straight 24 hours a day with chemo and radiation the heaviest dosage and then put in with these stem cells like a thousand i think it was a thousand healthy white t-cells like white cells that would kill the, the, you know, the remaining cancer. They, uh, they went to go take some of her, you know, white cells and they found out she only had like 600 and they needed some for me cause we were the same blood type. So I was like, obviously I'll do this. And so it was at the end of January, they literally just nuked her body five days straight. And I couldn't see her for the first two to three months. It was behind like a pane of glass because any type of germ, any like common cold would most likely kill her. So even my brothers, my brothers were super young at the time. I mean, I was, this was like when I was said it was 15 now, maybe 16, 15 going on 16. Seth, my two younger brothers were, I mean, they're one's seven and a half and it was 11 years younger than me. So I'm terrible with math, but young, they weren't able to see her probably for like a whole month. And then when we were starting to be allowed to go in the same room, it was like full on like hazmat suits, almost like something from ET when you're walking in and, you know, you're just wearing all this, you know, fall on helmet and stuff. She, it took three months recovery. It took basically all of February, all of March and most of April. And then they finally released her, uh, end of April. She, you know, she was weak. I mean, she was weak, but it, the, the cancer went into remission. Somehow it worked and, uh, she was cancer free for about two years. Uh, and then the tumor that was in her brain, which was now, you know, uh, benign, she, uh, it was, it was growing still and it was growing on like nerves that were affecting her, her walking. Like she couldn't feel her right leg all the way from her, you know, it's crazy. So she had brain surgery to remove this tumor from her head. So that happened like my freshman year of college. And I remember she wrote to each one of us, <laughs> she wrote to each one of us like a letter, like what we meant to her, you know, because I mean, yeah, you're going to from brain surgery. And, you know, she was in the hospital for a week and then they released her. And one of the 
funny stories that I like to tell is that, like I said, I was a really bad student. My mother really wanted to push me to be a, a good student. And I was taking a, like a Justice Law and Society class in college because I, I liked law, whatever, even though I don't I want to go, I wanted to go into communication and, you know, media really struggled with it. And she was really good because she was pre-law and everything. She, you know, was really good with them. Um, she was like a, a lawyer and everything as well. So I was struggling writing a paper and, you know, two days after she got out of brain surgery in the hospital, I emailed her the paper and she helped me write it. <laughs> and she basically rewrote the paper for me two days after getting her, you know, doing brain surgery. And I got a B plus on it. She was so pissed that she got a B plus and not an A. And like, that's like, that like sums up my mother's like fight throughout this whole thing was that like, you know, she, she always wanted the best. She never, you know, even, even after getting brain surgery, she had brain surgery and she still got a B plus, which I was like, Hey, we did a great job. And mom was like, I'm pissed because we didn't get a fucking A. And I'm like, okay, fantastic. So she, uh, she got those, those tumors removed. And uh, at the same time, a couple uh, months later, she got a double mastectomy just to preventative cause. There was no cancer coming back yet, but she just wanted to get rid of them just in case. And about a year, a year and a half after that, so now I'm like a senior. So this is like a four-year span. Like I'm a senior now in college. She gets another tumor in her brain. It's a benign tumor, but again, it was growing. And they didn't want to do another real big brain surgery. So... The doctors decided, and she agreed, and she wanted to do it to do have a brain, you know, put a radiation plate inside her head. So this way, you know, it was just constantly shrinking tumors if they came up whenever. So she did that, and everything was fine for about eight months. And then another cancerous tumor formed uh, in her brain. The radiation plate was taking care of it, uh, but eventually the cancer spread to her, like, pancreas. And in the end, when it hits like pancreas or liver, it's uh, very fatal. So she, um, you know, my, my, my dad didn't tell me any of this. He only told me about the brain surgery. He didn't tell me about another tumor coming back because uh, I had about two months before I graduated. So it was about spring break. It was about March. And uh, I um, can't remember. I, I, was, I was in a funk for some reason. I, oh, there was a girl I was dating. She broke up with me. I was really, really upset. She like, she like cheated on me. It was really awful. And, uh, I came back from spring break and didn't have a good time. Cause I was upset about this, this breakup that happened. And my dad was walking kind of funny. So, you know, I was like, Hey, you all right? And he's like, yeah, he's just, I got You know, I got a cold in my back. My dad is a very, very stubborn Israeli man. He refuses to go to the doctor ever. Like every time he's sick, he just wraps himself in tons of hot blankets, takes a hot shower, wraps himself in blankets and just goes to sleep for 24 hours. And he's like, oh, I sweated it out. It's fine. So he, uh, he had two ruptured discs in his back. And, um, what ended up happening is I went back to school, you know, uh, after spring break and my brother calls me and Seth was 14 at the time. And he calls me up hysterically crying. He's like, dad went to go move mom and he fell and he can't move. And so what happened was um, my mom was really weak. My dad went to go move her in bed just to move her. Uh, I think she had to either go to the bathroom or something like that. And when he did that, he had two ruptured discs in the top of his back. They shattered. The, they, it, was so much, it 
put so much pressure, it shattered the lowest disc in the bottom of his back and into his spine and made him kind of like paralyzed from the waist down because they had to put a whole new disc in his back. So I came home, my brothers, you know, I drove all the way from DC, came back to uh, New Jersey. And, uh, you know, I was like, like, dad, you're going to the hospital. Cause at first he'd even go to the hospital. He was like, no, no, no I'm fine. I mean, in a couple of days I'll be walking. So I was, you know, I remember I was taking care of him in one room and then I heard a large thud and that was my mom trying to get out of bed to go to the bathroom. And she was so weak. She fell. And at that point I was like, I, I had enough. I can't, I can't take care of both of you. Like I'm not physically able to do that. Like, my cousin came down from New York, but even then it was just too much. It was, it, you know, it was too much going on. So sent my dad to the hospital, sent my mom to the hospital and my dad had to have a whole disc replaced in his back all the nerve endings and everything and at that point that is the exact moment I knew how bad my mom had been because the doctors were coming up to me because I was the oldest the next of kin and they're like so your mother has another tumor in her brain it's spreading and uh, we're giving her about six weeks to live and I was like what do you mean another tumor in her brain like I had no idea about any of this you know, my dad just got out of surgery and I was, I was furious at him because he didn't tell me any of this. I mean, he didn't tell, he didn't tell Seth or Emmett the severity of it either. And you know, what's funny before I continue this story, what's funny is that last year I, I was with my brother, um, this time last year and we had never talked about the death or leading up to it. And you know, there's so many, my story is how, how everything happened from my angle. Seth, my brother's both of them have different angles of their story because they knew certain things that I didn't know, but then they didn't know things that I knew. And my brother was, my brother Seth was mad at my father. I can't remember for what it was. And I was like, well, this is why he did this. And now he's like, wow, that makes so much more sense. Like I've been holding this anger, even though he loves his, you know, he loves my father. He's been holding some resentment. And, you know, he told me some things like things that I didn't know. So, you know, when I saw my dad, I was so, I was so enraged. I was like, why didn't you fucking tell me mom was sick? He's like, you know, I could have, I could have, you know, and I started go going to the, I could have done this. I could have done that. And he goes, that's why I didn't tell you. He's like, if I told you how sick mom was before you left for college four years ago, you wouldn't have gone to college. If I told you three months ago how sick mom got again, you wouldn't have finished school. You would have dropped out and came home to help out. And that's why I didn't, he's like, you're, all your mother wants for you to do is, gra you know, graduate and, you know, be successful. So, you know, I had to like bring back the anger. Um, not that I wanted to be angry at my father, but it was just like all these emotions that you're feeling at the time. And or someone else kind of controlled the way that you got to experience this thing. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And I'm not angry for my dad for that. My dad did what he felt was right at the time. And I can't imagine being in my father's shoes, dealing with three sons, one in college, one in freshly in high school and one in middle school, having to handle different emotions and different hormones even, you know what I mean? So I couldn't be mad at him. And, you know, over the next two to three days, you, I just found out so much awful things that are, were killing my mom. One of her friends has a doctor out here in California that really wanted to help my mother out. And he offered to fly her out here to try some type of new procedure, new type of medicine. 
I remember the doctor gave me, he's like, you know, listen, you know, I, I don't, I hate that you have to fill this out, but I need to fill like a do not resuscitate form because I was the oldest I can. And, uh, you know, I went up to him and we talked about all these options and I was like, so do you want to go to California? Do you want to do this? And she was like, no. And I never, I never saw my mom ever give up a fight on anything. And I'm not, upset that she gave up on a fight on this because I can't imagine what eight, nine years of bouting cancer when they told you you only had six weeks to six months to live was would be like. I don't think anybody wants that life like that, but I just remember my heart physically breaking. Like I've, I've you know, girls have broken my heart before, but that was just awful. And I just, I cried. I lost it. They, they, they told us six weeks I'm the one that had to tell my brothers because my dad was still like loopy from meds, <laughs> you know, Seth was angry. Seth punched a hole through a door at the hospital. No, at, at the house and Emmett, <clears throat> you know, the one that, the one that's always been surprising to me out of all three of my brothers is the youngest one, Emmett, because I think our mom had been sick since he was five, six, five, six years old. So pretty much everything he knew about her was this resilient woman, you know, and bouncing back and going forth and her being sick most of his life. So I think he realistically expected this to happen one day. And he was just like, this is awful, but you know, like we'll be stronger together. And to hear like a 12 year old say that at the time is just, <sighs> it's uplifting and sad at the same th at the same time. I went back to school for about three weeks my dad was like, you're going back. He's like, you have six weeks left until you graduate. He's like, they're not going to, you know, pardon you because, you know, your mother is ill. We don't know if, you know, she, who knows, maybe she'll make a comeback. And I was like, okay, sure. Let's let, you know, let's, let's hopefully that happens. At that point I was like hopeful, you know, about three weeks go by and it was uh end of April, like literally around this time. Like it was April 27th or 28th. I was in between classes. I was finishing up the semester right before study days. And my dad calls me and uh, he's like, hey, I'm like, hey, what's up? And he's like, um, it's time. I was like, what? He's like, it's time to come home. And I, I didn't even have to ask. Excuse me. I didn't even have to ask because I just knew what he meant. And I just broke down like right there, like walking from building to building in the middle of the quad, just in his in just tears like flow like i never i couldn't stop it i could have been laughing and i still probably still wouldn't cried she hadn't gone yet but i you know knowing it's like knowing the 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 ending to the shittiest movie ever <laughs> and you know you have to watch this movie happen flew home we went to the hospice and again the last the last image i had before like this is only even three four weeks ago was my mother was smiling she was being jovial it looked like she was going to make a recovery. And this was in the hospital. And then we, she's now in hospice. The nurse is like, I'll give you a couple minutes. And she puts, you know, I open this door to this room and the door, the, the room is very dimly lit. There's like maybe a, there's a lamp in the corner, but it's, you know, low, low light. And then my mom's just sitting there and she's breathing. And I, it didn't even look like her. It didn't even look like her. And I just sat next to her. tried to talk to her and all I would get was like heavy sighs and the talking turned from you know it was about you know finishing school it turned into begging of please don't leave 
please stay. I was, you know, I was selfishly, I, I was, I wanted her to stay because I was graduating in eight days. And again, none of that would have happened if she didn't write my essay for college, you know, help me write it, push me to, to reach schools, push me to go meet with different deans and different, you know, all that stuff was because of her. And, you know, I was like, Seth and Emmett still need you. I was like, you know, dad still needs you. I was like, please don't leave. Please don't leave. And, you know, again, it was just like heavy breathing as if she's saying I can't or like, I love you or I, you know, whatever. I couldn't make it. And, you know, the nurse came in and she goes, I'm really sorry. Like, you know, your father has to come in now. And my father went in, I was there for about 15 minutes and we drove and the moment we got like literally parked in the driveway my father gets a call from the nurse and she had passed and so I like to think because my brothers got to see her like you know the day before I like to think that she waited for me to say goodbye not a day goes by that I just you know I miss her and uh It sucks bringing back those feelings, but they're necessary. I just love, loved, I would love to, to just see, and I know she can, but to see like where my brothers have come. And you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. My mom was just a really tough woman. And, uh. I think she had a she had a decent life. I think she deserved a better life. She, you know, parents loved her, but they didn't give her, you know, the resources that she always wanted. Um, she got into Harvard, Yale, and UC Berkeley, and they said, "Why are you gonna go to college?" I said, "You'll just marry a nice, wealthy Jewish man." She always she always fought. For, I mean, she put herself through two years of community college and then finished out at NYU. You know, all by herself. Put herself through you know work, did all that stuff. You know, worked night jobs. I went to night classes to take day classes and night classes. I mean, she was, she was incredible. She passed when she was 50 years old. On Tuesday, on May 1st, it's going to be 14 years it's been gone. And she's just so young. But I just feel like she was taken way too soon for so much. She, for someone who had so much more to offer. Not just to me, but to my brothers, you know. Every year around this time, I go, where would I be if she was still alive? Would I even be out in California? Would I have lived in Australia for a year? Would I have gone down this career path? Would I have done a lot of things I want to do? You know, um, I don't know. So on May 1st, what does that day look like for you? You know, sometimes I take a day off and I just go and reflect or I go to something like she loved going to museums. Every year I do that for her on her birthday. Even if it's the same thing I've seen, I just go. My brother, I, I think, draws and paints, but we all de text each other one happy thought that reminds us of her, which is, I, you know, I didn't think would be, I thought it was silly and sappy, you know, like it, but it really is great. That's something that A, reminds you uh, of, from a different perspective and B, will never let you forget like certain things about her. But I really enjoy that because you get a memory that, Maybe you never even knew or you forgot about. Well, for the first time ever this May 1st, I'm doing something that I've never done in the past 14 years. I'm going to my therapist on the day. <laughs> when I booked it, she's like, I know May 1st is a heavy day for you. Do you want to? I was like, let's give it a shot. Yeah, Therapy helped me um, really move forward emotionally because 
I, I, I was being stuck in the past too much, you know, and then it happens. Like I said, it happens to everybody and there's nothing wrong with remembering the past, but living in the past, especially with this is, is not healthy for you. It's really not. What ends up happening is I use it as a crutch to make excuses for things I'm not doing in the future. Knowing that it's there and bringing out those, those thoughts and memories is good, but not, you know, harnessing them and, and, and keeping them there for a while. And therapy was really great because I was able to talk to someone who wasn't attached to me. Like they don't have prior knowledge of who I am, my past, my mother, any of this stuff. And, you know, therapists are great because they're not going to be nasty to you, but they're going to, they're going to see it from a, a plain, even field perspective. What, what you're going through and calmly tell you and not, not guilty, but like, you just need to get over this. You just need to move on. Or like, you know, what you should do is this and that it's like, here's some suggestions on how to move forward. Like they're there, you know, the therapist helped me for me. She, they, she heard what I was saying and what I, what I, what I was saying to her and what she was, what I needed to do was what she was translating. And it was just, it was wonderful just to talk to someone that helped me with my emotions and handling it without bringing their emotions into it. Full House truly gave us so much. Uncle Jesse's hair, how rude, and of course, Kimmy Gibbler. But most people probably forget about the catalyst for the show's premise. After the girl's mom dies, only six and a half months after giving birth to Michelle, Danny enlists his brother-in-law and his best friend to move in and help raise the girls. Chaos ensues. Maybe people forget that the mom died because she's only actually seen once in the entire series. In the season two episode, Goodbye, Mr. Bear, Danny unearths a home video of Pam Tanner coming home from the hospital with Michelle. I shot this the day your mom came home from the hospital with Michelle. Okay, Pammy, you can come in now. Hey, anybody order pizza? <laughs> Give me my baby joy. Oh. You're not a pizza, Michelle. No, you're a big, beautiful meatball. <laughs> Mom looks like you, DJ. She looks like you, too. And watching the home video goes quickly from fun, nostalgia, to sad. They all look incredibly solemn in their own way, and they all now we have the, the same three emotion. most wonderful daughters Three. in the whole world. <laughs> Isn't mom beautiful? Though they don't talk about Pam often, each daughter has their own major experience in the series, which shows how their mother's death affected them as individuals. Her cause of death isn't stated until season eight. After Kimmy gets drunk at a party and fights with DJ about letting her drive home, the two best friends get in a fight where DJ reminds her, but tells us for the first time, that her mom died because she got hit by a drunk driver. I can't admit you were jealous of me. You had to embarrass me and take my car keys like... Like I'm some kind of child. Kimmy, you could barely walk. It's my life. What do you care? I'm sorry, I do care. My mom died because of a drunk driver. I wasn't going to lose my best friend the same way. 
Another time that we see how it's affected DJ is in the same season in an episode called Stephanie's Wild Ride. DJ embarrasses Stephanie in front of Gia. Remember the girl who smokes in the girl's bathroom? DJ doesn't let Stephanie go out with Gia because she has a bad feeling about it. And that night, Gia and the guys that they're with get in a car accident. And by DJ mothering Stephanie, it ultimately saves her. DJ says that she's not about to let history repeat itself. And also, it's pretty consistent with the eldest stepping in to parent their younger siblings. Stephanie's time comes in season four. She's having a really shitty time at the honeybee mother-daughter sleepover, which we come to find out is because she feels jealous that everyone else gets to be there with their mom, except for her. Even more specifically, DJ got to attend with their mom when she was eight, but it's something that Stephanie realizes that she'll never get to experience. And with Michelle being less than a year when she lost her mom, has ultimately zero memories. It brings to mind the quote, Nostalgia for what we have lost is more bearable than nostalgia for what we have never had. For the first involves knowledge and pleasure, the second only ignorance and pain. In the last episodes of the Full House series, not counting Fuller House, which I've only watched stoned, Michelle falls off a horse and gets amnesia. But when her family tries to help her remember her life, Michelle asks, Can I ask you a question? Anything. You're my dad, right? Sure. So where's my mom? The family has to explain that she died when she was just a baby. Okay, so I recommend not looking any of this up because there is a dark corner of the internet that specializes in putting laugh tracks behind sad full house moments, specifically about their dead mom. Though there is a Michelle and Jesse montage to the soundtrack My Immortal by Evanescence, so it does even out in that way. Even now. Even even to this day, and I'm, you know, I'm going to be 37 next week. Even to this day for the past, I always post a picture of my mom and something that she reminds me of on my, my Facebook and social media. Everybody handles it differently. But there's tons of people that write how proud they would, how proud she would be. And it's like, I appreciate that. Now I appreciate that. But I can't imagine. Like, I remember right after it happened and being so young, you know, be like being to be hear that so much. It's like. I would, as a, as a kid, I would probably want to keep on moving forward knowing this tragic thing has happened because I'm not, you know, you're not fully mentally developed on the, on sadness, you know, emotions completely, but to keep on being reminded of that. And that's it, not a knock against anybody because everybody's just trying to be as helpful as possible, but just be mindful of it. And that's like some advice I would love to like pass on to people. It's like, you know, help out as much as you can but try to help this person progress forward. Don't try to have them live in the past because the person's going to be doing that by themselves for the rest of their lives, wishing and wanting and hoping that, that, that their mom or their dad or brother and sister, or whoever they lost, too young, too soon, whatever it may be, to come back. Thank you for listening to this episode of Don't Tell the Babysitter Mom's Dead. If you'd like to leave a review on iTunes, that'd be lovely. It helps other people find the show. If you'd like to support the podcast on Patreon, you can at patreon.com slash deadmomcast. This helps make a second season. The music is by Interstellar of Sarah Michelle Geller. The link for the band camp is in the description. And the logo is by Christine Tuna. The next episode is with my good friend Anna Marie Davidson, who is actually the first friend close to me who lost their mom while I've been friends with them. I had so much anxiety. I couldn't drive. I quit my job. I watched the X-Files and drank gin during the day 
and I played Neopets. <laughs> like when I played, no, I'm not even kidding. I went through like a regression stage 